Let's pray. God, we thank you for the miracle and the meaning of the incarnation. I pray this morning, as we look at your word, our hearts would reflect and worship you for who you are. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was at Whataburger yesterday with the boys, and uh, I got up uh, as eloquently as I just did, <laughs> and I fell on the table next to me, and there was no one there, thankfully, but uh, it was one of those where I tried to just act chill about it, and I didn't really make my facial expression change. I looked around, and this one lady was staring at me so hard. She's like, who is this man? What is he doing? This morning... We're going to look at a passage. We've been looking at reflections on Advent. And we looked at Hebrews. We looked at Galatians. This morning, we're going to look at, the, at 1 John. You'd open up your Bible. This morning, we're going to look at true Christmas joy. True Christmas joy. And what we're going to do, we're going to look at three observations about Jesus in this text. Three observations about Jesus, and we're going to seek to ask three questions as we look at each observation. True Christmas joy. I saw a, uh, a little cartoon, Howard Schultz, Charlie Brown. A sweet little cartoon. I have no clue if Howard Schultz was a believer, but it was a little bitty Charlie Brown scene, I think with Lioness, if that was his little name. And Linus was saying, how can I know the meaning of Christmas? How can I know the meaning of Christmas? And Charlie Brown begins to read Luke chapter 2 to him. A sweet little cartoon. I want you to think, though, again, what is the meaning of Christmas? If you had a friend invite you over this afternoon and they said, hey, I know you're a Christian. Tell me what, the, what Christmas is all about. You might could tell them about Jesus in the manger and the shepherds and later on in his development, the wise men who came. But, but could you tell them if they said, what is the incarnation all about? What does it mean? Why did God have to become man? And on and on and on. These are the kind of questions that don't need to be reserved for pastors and seminarians and scholars. They need to be answered by the youngest to the oldest in the Christian church. These need to be Christianity 101. We all need to be versed into these truths. And I praise God because what a passage that we can reflect on this morning. 1 John chapter 1. Let's read those first four verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Three observations concerning Jesus as we look at 1 John chapter 1. The first one is critical. He is the eternal life made 
manifest. He is the eternal life made manifest. When you look at 1 John 1 and these few verses, what happens is what we've already seen in Galatians and Hebrews chapter 2. When you deal with the incarnation, you deal with the necessity of Jesus coming fully God, fully man, full deity, full humanity. And here in these verses, we not only see his deity, we see his humanity, but he begins with his deity. And he starts out and he, and he says something that if you're familiar with the Apostle John, it's going to sound like something you've heard him say before. That which was from the beginning. This is rich. You know, when we think about some of the verses, we're going to get a lot of verses this morning in Micah. In this wonderful passage in the Old Testament, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. The best commentary on what John is speaking about is John himself. And in John's gospel, he opens it up by saying, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the eternal life made manifest. And that's exactly what John is saying, that which was from the beginning. And, and, and in John's gospel, in John 1, 1, he, he does something really fascinating. He uses a, a tense that it means basically there never was a time that Jesus was not. He uses the imperfect tense. And what's fascinating is he, he uses, uh, in John 1, 1, he says, in the beginning was the word. As far back as you can go, eternity passed. There's never a time that Jesus was not. And then in John 1, 14, the gospel of John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and, and so you have two things going on. You've got this eternity past, as, as long as you can go, he is the eternal preexistent one, one in nature and substance with the Father. And then he says, but at a specific point in time, he changes the tenses and he uses an aorist tense. And in verse 14, it's like he's saying, at a specific point in time, God entered human history. And John does the same thing in 1 John 1.1. He uses the same tenses. He says, that which was from the beginning, imperfect. And then when he says in verse 2, the life was made manifest, aorist tense. He appeared, the word became flesh. That which was from the beginning. He's eternal. You remember Jesus as he dealt with those religious leaders trying to trap him? And he says this remarkable phrase in John 8, 58, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. You see this in Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. Over and over, you could look at passages that illustrate 
the nature of who Christ is. And the first phrase that shows us that is right off the bat, that which was from the beginning. But what else do we learn about his deity as we look at verse 1 and verse 2? What, what other passage does it remind you of when we hear the word beginning? We think of Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. And so we've got these two passages that illustrate that. But notice as we keep moving through this section, we learn more about the eternal life who was made manifest. He was referred to as that which was from the beginning. But then in this passage, it speaks of him as concerning the word of life. So that which was from the beginning, concerning the word of life. Again, it's, it's familiar language that John has used before. In that verse I just mentioned, John 1.14, and the word became flesh. And here in 1 John 1, he refers to him as the word of life. And we go on and on. Remember in John 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. On and on. This is an exciting passage in Revelation. He is clothed in robe and a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. He's the word of God. He's the word of life. And that's what John refers to him here. He says, that which was from the beginning. And then he gives several phrases we're going to look at in just a second. And then he says, concerning the word of life. But it gets richer and richer as we keep going. He makes the statement, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you. Now, notice this description of Jesus. At first, it was that which was from the beginning. Then it was concerning the word of life. And now we see this phrase, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father. What does that mean? It's filled with meaning. In our church history class, we were looking at the Council of Nicaea in 324, 325 A.D., and the battle at Nicaea was, who is Jesus in relation with the Father? You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How are we to understand the incarnation? How are we to look at him? And John says, and this is so critical, he is the eternal life which was with the Father. You see, at Nicaea, there were false ideas of Jesus. There was one view that says he was of a different substance than the Father. He wasn't the same, different. That's heresy. It goes against what the Apostle John says. It goes against what the Gospels teach and the New Testament teaches. There were other people that the view changed over time there, and it was of a similar substance. At first they said, no, he's not the same substance as the father. He's of a different substance. And then they eased it a little bit, but they didn't ease it enough. It was still heresy. They said he's similar to the father. But thankfully, there were people there like Alexander and Athanasius at the Council of Nicaea who stood up for the word of God and affirmed what God teaches in 1 John 1.1. And they said, no, he is of the same substance with the father. He is one 
in nature, one in substance with God the Father. And that's what he speaks of here. Again, we, we see passages in the New Testament that illustrate this. Remember, I and the Father are one in John 10, 30. You remember Jesus' dialogue with Philip in John 14, 9? Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He is fully divine. But what else do we see in 1 John 1, 1? He's not only fully divine, he's full humanity. And notice what he says, starting back in the first phrase. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it, testified to it, proclaimed to you the eternal life. John wanted them not only to understand the nature of who he was as God, but he wanted them to understand who he was fully human. You see, in, in the time that he wrote this, it's hard for us to imagine what was going on in the backdrop, but there were a lot of groups that were questioning the humanity of Christ. And, and there were groups that would come along later on that would fully develop, like, you ever heard of the Gnostics, Gnosticism? And what they said was, they said, flesh is evil, spirit is good. So to, in order to try to make Jesus fit within their worldview, they said if flesh is evil, Jesus could not have been fully man. He had to be like a ghost if he looked like a man. An aberration, he wasn't truly a man. And John is saying, no, 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 no. You have to understand. You remember when we looked at uh, Hebrews just a couple of weeks ago? We needed a high priest who was not like us, fully God, but we needed one who identified with us, fully human. And apart from him being fully God and fully human, the incarnation means nothing. Because as our capable and faithful high priest, who is sinless and sympathetic, he was fully God, fully man. And John says, look, we heard him. We saw him. We looked upon him. We touched him. We've seen it. We testified to it. And, and so many fun passages to look at here that illustrate the truth of this. We see that he came and, and he manifested himself. He was fully human. He was seen. He was heard. He was touched. He was manifested. And that's what the opening there of, as we get into chat, verse 2 of 1 John 1, it's speaking of he was manifested, he appeared, he came on the scene, fully flesh, fully God. 1 John says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. In 1 John 3, 8, if you look down a couple of lines, he says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, and, and on and on, look at 1 Timothy and what Paul says, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. When we think of Christmas, the eternal life was made manifest. The eternal life appeared. The eternal life took on human flesh. 
Remember, we read, likewise, he partook of the same things. Jesus, fully God, fully man, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. And, and, and now he works this out. He, he speaks of all the ways they interacted with him. And that's the word of the gospel, isn't it? In the opening of Luke, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. You remember the opening of the book of Acts. It's an account of all that was observed in the first book, O Theophilus of Acts 1.1. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen all through the book of Acts, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. John, even, in his own gospel, look at how he referenced it. In John 19, 35, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. You remember Peter, when it comes to sharing the truth of the word of God and he says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They saw it. They heard it. Jesus, even amongst the doubters, as he appears to the disciples as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? And look what he says. See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. On and on as we go through the Gospels, we see the affirmation of what John says here in 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. Later on in 1 John, it says, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And, and he closed out his Gospel with such a heart to share what he observed, what he saw, what he heard all that Jesus was. And he said in John 1, 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And then he says this statement, closing it out. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Over and over you see it, Acts 1.22, Acts 2.32, Acts 3.15, Acts 5.32. We were witnesses, witnesses, witnesses. The first observation about Jesus in 1 John 1, 1 through 4, he is the eternal life made manifest. And here's my question to you today. Do you believe who he is completely? Do you believe who he is completely? The other night we were talking at the Christmas dinner. There are a lot of people that, are comfortable with some aspects of the incarnation. But to embrace all of this is to embrace him as Lord, is to embrace, embrace him as God. I was taken by 
a statement that John Piper made. He said, this is the stumbling block of the incarnation. When God becomes a man, he strips away every pretense of man to be God. We can no longer do our own thing. We must do what this one Jewish man wants us to do. We can no longer pose as self-sufficient because this one Jewish man says we are all sick with sin and must come to him for healing. We can no longer depend on our own wisdom to find life because this one Jewish man who lived for 30 obscure years in a little country in the Middle East says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and he is fully God full humanity, on display, made manifest, born in a manger in Bethlehem. But second of all, a lot of observations we could make in this wonderful text of 1 John. The second one that really stood out to me, he brings people to true fellowship. Not only is he the eternal life made manifest, but when we learn of Jesus we learn that he brings people to true fellowship. And we'll learn what that means here. He says in verse three, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He brings true fellowship. The miracle of the eternal God becoming man to save us, to know us, to fellowship with us, to bring us life. I was thinking of this. He, he sums up all that they had heard and all that they saw and all that they testified of. And he, he says, look, I want you to know that which was from the beginning, the eternal life was made manifest. He appeared, and, and we observed it. We witnessed it. We watched it, and, and he sums it up, and then he says, that which we've seen and heard, we tell you, we proclaim to you, so you may have fellowship with us. So what is it ultimately that brings fellowship to the listener who receives this message. Well, we have to like unpack that a little bit. It's the message that we've been studying this Christmas. It's the message of Christ's perfect life, of his substitutionary death, of his death for our sin, that, that he's a propitiation, that he takes the punishment that I deserve, that you deserve, that we deserve. He takes that punishment upon himself. He dies in our place. The message is that Christ Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That Christ came, that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The message of Christ and why he came. I want to read to you again the passage we just looked at, because, you know, it's really remarkable how Scripture interprets Scripture. And Paul says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The message of Christ coming and dying in our place. The message of Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The message of hope. The message of his life. And and, and John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. Have you believed on him? Have you received the diagnosis? Uh, first of all, have you received the diagnosis, but then have you, have you received the prognosis? Have you received the reality that he comes announcing that you're in darkness and in need of light? He comes announcing peace because you have none apart from him. And are you willing to receive it, to trust in his work, to trust in the eternal life made manifest that is your only hope with to fellowship with God the Father, the only hope, fellowship with him. Listen to this passage. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We can have fellowship with God through Christ. That it would have been wonderful in itself, if Christ just provided salvation, but Christ provided salvation and desired fellowship with us. I was reading some passages. I'd gone through this, and as I was reflecting on fellowship, what does it mean? Fellowship with God through Christ. Fellowship with God the Father and His Son. Fellowship with others in the body of Christ. True community. True family. And I was thinking about what are some passages that really illustrate this. And, and one thing that I remembered a long time ago, there was a, a book that we looked at on Sunday night about the Trinity. And, and Michael Reeves, he says this statement, and it, it really rocked me when I read it. And I want you to think of this. I'd never really put it in this perspective. It is not then that God needed to create the world in order to satisfy himself or to be himself. The divine majesty of this God is not dependent on the world. The Father, Son, and Spirit were happy in themselves and enjoyed one another before the world was. But the Father so enjoyed his fellowship with his Son that he wanted to have the goodness of it spread out and communicated or shared with others. Wow. Our triune God the greatest picture of fellowship the universe has ever known. And God, in his infinite mercy, goodness, and love, desired to share that fellowship that existed among the Godhead with you and I. The meaning of Christmas, the God-man, fully God, fully man, comes as our high priest, manifest. And John is making this announcement, this grand declaration. He's saying, look, understand the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. 
but he has come and he desires that you be in fellowship with him. There's an invitation here. There's an invitation that goes out. You, 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 you're not to be a bystander when you observe the nativity scene, when you look at the Christmas story in Luke 2. You're called to participate. You're called to be a part because God has worked and God has brought redemption in the heart of the apostle John is that his readers would experience the same fellowship that he had come to know. Have you ever experienced something and you so desperately wanted others to share in it? I mean, we think of simple things, don't we? A good meal, you want to tell people about it. A good show, a great game, an ending to a game that someone may not have seen. You're like, man, you got to see this. This is amazing. But I want you to think about all those trivial, simple examples we could come up with. And then I want you to think about the most important event in human history whereby God has declared his intentions towards man and has revealed his grace, his mercy, his infinite love. And he has come to be a sacrifice for us. And John says, and we long that you experience the fellowship that we have come to know. That's the heart of Christmas. The heart of Christmas is, and John, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The hope of Christmas is why Paul could come to know Christ to say the words for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. But then to even pray and call out in a heartbeat of, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, the eternal life was made manifest because we are all unrighteous, all of us. But Christ, the perfect righteous one, comes to live and die for us that by grace through faith, we might receive the imputed righteousness of Jesus. And now, because of his grace, Paul can say, as he cries out, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And for Paul to say that, it's only possible through the miracle of fellowship that comes through the work of Jesus Christ. The miracle that those who were strangers and aliens and enemies can now become friends. The miracle that those who were outsiders, who had no place, now have a reserved seat at the table because of the love and goodness of our God in his son, in his work. And all of these 
It's the kind of fellowship that enables Jesus to speak of it in John 15 like this. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the type of fellowship that is involved in this reality. And he says that which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us. We've experienced it. We've experienced, John would say he'd experienced fellowship with God the Father through Jesus. And now he had fellowship with the brethren and the sisters in the body of Christ, a fellowship that was made of God, a fellowship provided by the spirit of Christ. And, and yet he wants others to experience it as well. Christmas is a proclamation Think about the old Christmas classic, go tell it on the mountain. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. The first observation that we see about Jesus here, he is the eternal life made manifest. Number two, he brings people to true fellowship. Fellowship with God the Father, fellowship with others, fellowship with himself. But third, he is the essence of true joy. And he says in verse four, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, now what does he mean here? If you read that really quick, you might be thinking, wait a minute. Is he saying that he's more worried about his joy than their joy? And that's not what he's saying. And, and, and actually, if you look at other translations here, I was curious the ESV says, so that our joy may be complete. The New American Standard says, so that our joy may be complete. The New King James Version says, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. The NIV, our joy. The King James, your joy. You could go on and on. There, there's one old paraphrase that I like to read just to see sometimes how they thought about it. The Amplified, and I like how the Amplified says this, and we are now writing these things to you so that our joy may be full and your joy may be complete. I think that's the heart of what he's saying. Because in order for their joy, John and those with him, John and the apostles, whoever that O-U-R is speaking of, it's the idea that we are so joyful because of the work that God has done in our hearts, bringing us meaning to life, bringing us fellowship with God the Father through his son. And our joy is, is even fuller because of what it's doing in those we share the news to. Our joy is even greater. Our joy continues to grow. Our joy is complete. Our joy is complete. Tommy read, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you this is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I, I, I love uh, these Christmas songs. 
And uh, one of my favorites is Oh Holy Night. And uh, truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. If we misunderstand the meaning of Christmas, we get lost into the materialism of the worldly view of Christmas. And I remember as a kid, you know, I had aspirations for a lot of things on Christmas morning. Sometimes I was real excited. Others, I was a little let down. But even when I got the gift that I thought would change my life, I was amazed how quickly I became discontent. Sometimes within hours. It was a big letdown. Just didn't do what I thought it would do. But here, he speaks about this hymn writer. Sweet hymns of joy. And these are sweet, sweet hymns of joy, not just sang amongst the brothers and the sisters in Christ, but they're sang deep within our heart because of the reality that the eternal life was made manifest. And loved me so much that he came to adopt me as a son. That by grace through faith and dependence on him and him alone, I could experience true life. My sins could be forgiven. I could come into relationship with a holy God through the perfect work of his perfect son. There's so many mentions of fear when we look at the first two chapters of Luke. Fear, fear, fear. It's pretty fascinating. I, I didn't realize how many times it was used. You know, we see uh, Zechariah in Luke 1.12, fear fell upon him. Uh, the angel even said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. You, you keep going, Luke 1.30, when Gabriel appears to Mary, the angel, do not be afraid, Mary. Zechariah, when he's able to talk again in Luke 174, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Luke 2, I just read it. Fear not. Over and over, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. And, and the absence of fear enables there to be joy. And we once were enslaved because of fear to death, as we read in Hebrews. But Jesus is the one that brings joy. In John 15, in the context of abiding in Christ, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. I want to ask you a question this morning. Going back to fellowship, because this fellowship leads to this joy. This fellowship with God now leads to peace and joy and hope. Have you come into that fellowship? Have you experienced true Christmas fellowship? The fellowship because of the incarnation? Can you relate with the apostle John here of the fellowship that he has with God through his son. Can you relate with the Apostle John of the fellowship that is so deep he speaks about it in a familial sense amongst the brothers and the sisters? Can you relate with that? 
I pray today you'd come to know it. That by grace through faith, you depend and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray today, Christian, that maybe if you've lost sight of that fellowship, today are you walking in it, Christian? Think about it. This is a fellowship that is so intense and so dramatic that, that John is speaking of it in a primary sense of like, we proclaim to you the greatest message in human history that you may experience this fellowship. And the question I've got for you today, Christian, are you living out of the fellowship that God has provided for you in Christ? You remember in the book of Revelation, we learned about a church that had lost its first love. Today, I pray, maybe it's at a Christmas Eve Sunday morning where we as Christians are reminded of all that we have in Jesus Christ. And we reflect on the riches of his blessings, the richness of the fellowship that he gives. And I pray today you'd understand the kindness of God is what leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that calls Christians back into a sweet fellowship. Maybe today you think of your Christian life and you go, you know what? I remember a time in my life and my journey with Jesus that I experienced such greater fellowship. I remember fellowship in his word, fellowship in prayer. I remember fellowship in walking dependent upon him, but it could be that you've lost sight of what real life is all about. I pray today you'd see these Christmas blessings. True Christmas joy is not just an announcement of joy to those who are lost who can become found. It's an announcement of true Christmas joy to those who've already experienced it, that it is constantly available to you through Christ and what he's accomplished on the cross. He's the essence of true joy. So this morning, three observations. These three observations, I pray you'd reflect on. He's the eternal life made manifest. He brings people to true fellowship. He's the essence of true joy. Would you bow your head? Father, I thank you for the miracle of what we read. I pray, God, that we'd have a, a heart and a desire because of your spirit to share and proclaim this message to others. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we'd have this same passion and burden that John has for his readers. Father, it, it, it's amazing to me that little did John know that what he wrote would be looked at 2,000 years later by Christians all over the world, and it, yet it would still hold its same power and urgency and message of true fellowship and true joy only made possible because of the eternal life manifest. I pray, God, today that from the youngest to the oldest, we would realize that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And I pray that as we look at the baby in the manger, 
we would never lose sight that he is the eternal life who has appeared to take away our sin. We praise you. I pray this Christmas season, not only would new people come into fellowship and true joy, but I pray, Lord, for believers here today this Christmas Eve who may have lost sight of fellowship and lost sight of joy. I thank you, Father. The fruit of your spirit is joy. I pray that we'd live out of it and that it would flood our hearts this Christmas season. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand with me.